We also don't have tons of data sets that get as granular because we also have a problem with funding Black research. And when you look at Black think tanks compared to others, the funding is just always disproportionate. And so without that, that research or without the access to deep and granular research, how do we truly know what's going on? If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is an honor to have Sherelle Dorsey with The Plug. You know, she's been a person I've looked up to, admired, and, and she has been in the Black innovation space before it was popular to be in the Black innovation space. Uh, really focusing on data and contextualizing the experience of the Black innovation economy, really focusing on disrupting the narrative about who who gets to be called a genius, who gets to be called an expert in tech. You know that a lot of Black and Brown people are that. Uh, we just don't get the credit. We don't get the recognition. And that's why the plug is needed. That's why she started it. And then she also has a new project that I was, I'm very excited about her podcast. I'm a fellow podcaster. Welcome to the podcasting space now. Uh, the Clark Street Project, which is named after where the uh, the Associated Negro Press started on 312 Clark Street in Chicago. Sherelle, welcome on. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, excited to have you here. And as I said, I, I, I've done a lot of these interviews in person, but uh, now we don't do that as much. Uh, thankfully, I was already doing virtual interviews too. And I look forward to the, this is our first time meeting virtually. We've talked over the phone. So it's great to at least kind of see each other via video, get to know each other and uh, look forward to further developing the relationship. I have, uh, I've looked at your career. It's very interesting, uh, Sherelle. You have, a, you have a very just broad experience. Like I, you can't really pin you in really one place, right? It's, it's, you've, been, you've been a coder. You've been in marketing. You've been in fashion design. You've gone to Columbia. Like I'm like, okay, so you're, to me, I can't really, you have all these pinpoints that somehow connect to what you're doing. So as an origin, I'm kind of curious. One of the questions I like to ask people, especially with somebody with such a varied background as you, what did you want to be growing up and what do you want to be now? That's such a great question. Um, I think initially I really wanted to be a producer of Broadway shows. Um, Interesting. Growing up, I was really into the arts. My mom was the person that always had us season tickets to the theater and ballet and what have you. And so um, in between learning coding and computer networking, I was also in dance, um, mostly tap, but also some other art forms. So I initially went to New York City for college because I was part of a, a tap company there. Um, and so I, I thought like, you know, I'd get to Broadway, I'd be like producing plays, what have you. Um, and just along the way, you know, you start to grow up and your world gets a little bit bigger as you start to experience it. Um, I always knew that like being an entrepreneur and having my own company was going to be the thing. Um, had always been a huge writer and in college really got to flex some of those skills, blogging became a pretty centralized platform. Um, and that's really where I, I kind of started to hone in on, you know, being a storyteller and trying to figure that part out. So I kind of fumbled my way through um, PR and marketing and working for different fashion companies um, and designers and just really enjoying learning the sales and marketing process of how you build a brand and how you build a story around Align, And I think all of those skills were super imperative and have been super imperative 
for my work today. Right. Um, I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology. I studied international trade and marketing for the fashion industry. And what you learn in fashion is the feeling that people get with design and how design dictates history. It dictates movement. It dictates who we are throughout time. And we select things. And, and um, FID had one of the, one of the best um, forecasting libraries. So right. forecasting the colors and trends that were going to be popular for the next year. So it was very, very um, industry focused in terms of the professionals who would right. come to our school for research. And um, I just, I really just, as I look back on that experience, it has this, this deeply humanistic element to it that I think helps you in business overall is like having that intimate understanding of your customer and how they yeah. feel um, about your, your product or your service. Well, how do you focus on that? I, I think people like to say that they are focused on their customer. I would argue most people are not They're They get in their own brain or they get in their own way of what they think is the right thing to do. Uh, I had Jewel, Jewel Burke Solomon on the show and she said, you know, uh, you have to fall in love with the problem, not necessarily the solution. And as entrepreneurs, you know, our our labor of love becomes what we've done. But sometimes if it's not in line with what the customer or the problem we're actually solving is, 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 is aligned with, then it doesn't get there. How do you keep yourself focused on, I guess, the who your user is and having empathy for their situation? Like, how do you keep yourself eternally focused in the business that way? That's such a great question. Um, and, you know, with the plug, the plug truly uh, sets itself apart in being a very niche focused space. It is, you know, reporting on the Black innovation economy and really looking at trends and observing data and information and insights really about where we're going. And this morning I, I did some writing on just why data matters. And I think that data has been highly oppressive. Um, for us for decades. Absolutely. It told us so many speak, different speak, speak more into why data is a problem. That's one of my questions, but since you got to it earlier, why do you think yeah, it's a problem? Yeah, like I just, I, I just, I had a moment where just, it always feels heavy when we hear about the deficit, when we hear about our standing across health, education, housing, transit, food access, like outcome, yeah. just across the board. We didn't have this 400 year head start. We didn't have infrastructure policy or resources mm -hmm. that worked in our favor. And so we are dealing in the aftermath of what systemic and institutionalized and government sanctioned racism looks like. Yep. And it's hard and it's heavy. And it's not that it's not true. I just think that there's some incompleteness. Um, as I'm Absolutely. I, I, a saying I like to say, Sherelle, is that, yeah. and you're, I'm sure you've heard the saying, Numbers don't lie, but liars use numbers. And how you use numbers, how you use data, we know. I mean, data was used to to say that black people weren't as smart, black people couldn't do certain things, and it still it still is to this day. How data is used, how it's presented, you know, prevent, uh, paints a narrative which will fit into the overall construct that w that we don't do things a certain way, or we only fit into certain categories. That's why I think when you when you really talk about data being so important and combining it with media. I mean, I think that's where we really focus on uh, changing the narrative, which I, which I believe is that, that's what disruption. We're about changing the narratives and the constructs around the black and brown experience. That That's what we do. And I think what you do better than anybody I've seen is use data to tell that story. And I will tell everybody I, I, I'm a I'm a subscriber. I think everybody should be a subscriber because we have to get and we have to get in a mindset 
as a community to support each other early on? Because I know a lot of people look at it, well, why should I have to pay for news? It's really simple because there's not any news outlet that's going to report on us unless we pay for it and it has to be done. So I do. do We're in a rigorous way. And I think that like, I think the reality is that, you know, I, we've always set ourselves apart. Um, I love what you were just saying earlier or just asking the question on, you know, knowing your customer and, and I'll be honest, I think that building the plug truly was a personal endeavor for myself because I was trying to synthesize the conferences and the people that I was meeting and going to. And I had never, you know, really set out to create a platform. It was, I just want a daily tech newsletter that talks about the black and brown folks in tech and ideas that I'm seeing. And I want to pair that with some of the external freelance writing I'm covering for like the rude and fast company and black enterprise. And I want to make it robust and smart and interesting and not just kind of this copy, copy and paste or fluffy narratives like I want to get let's go in deep you know and even now I mean you know uh, the level of reporting is still very high but I'm looking at like how can we be even much more observational Um, I think too when it comes to data there's a lot of databases we had to build ourselves Um, we built the first database on black-owned co-working spaces you know I mean like to think in you know we did that in 2017 2018 but to think about the fact that no one ever asked who are the operators of co-working spaces that happen to be black? Yeah. We never did an examination of that. And I think it's truly indicative of the fact that like, you know, we, we also don't have tons of data sets that get as granular because we also have a problem with funding black research. And when you look at black think tanks compared to others, the funding is just always disproportionate. And so without that, that research or without the, access to deep and granular research, how do we truly know what's going on or what's being measured? I mean, we kind of have things in a macro level and, and, sure. and, and I think there's power in some definitive stories. So I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about these things. And, and like I said, I was doing some writing on this, just some personal writing on trying to work out why, why is this part of the storytelling significant? And even as I'm starting to read the biographies of black engineers in the 60s and 70s who sold their companies. And I'm like, why am I just now learning about these people for the first time? You know, and actually I had, I had readers that send me books and materials, right. you know, and they tell me like, hey, I just read this. Like, you know, this seems right up your alley. And I just think about the, the, the narratives that we miss when we don't have proper data highlighting our accomplishments as part of the narrative of what's happening in business society and the history of of successful entrepreneurship um, outside of kind of the usual cast of characters. Um, And so anyway, I just, I, I, you know, Well, to that point, before you finish, I mean, uh, it it makes the point that it's not because of the regular cast of characters, whoever that might be, it's, it's, it's usually seen as the anomaly. It's just a few people. And that's not true. It's just the few people you know about. And we have to, again, use the data and also use the power of, uh, of journalism to make sure people know the truth that this is this is something that you can do that others have done It's not a one or two or three or just or just a few people there have been a lot of people who have made it under harder circumstances is there any particular story that sticks out to you that comes out at the top of your head that like just really just like motivated you would say like wow people really need to know about this story and this data 
You know, we, um, we actually had a data fellow this summer work on a uh, pulling together database of Black women who have had successful exits of their companies or no. companies that they have represented. And we did a very strong data visualization um, around them, what year they sold their companies and their, their company name, a very basic infographic, um, and then matched with the actual database. And it occurred to me that I personally can name a ton of white guys who sold their companies and made millions to billions of dollars. But when I look at black folks in the same level of case study, it's really hard for me to, to do that. And this is the industry in which I work in. And so I, I think that overall, um, particularly in the technology space, I'm not talking like beauty brands or things like yeah. that. Um, and so I, I just, I, I found that I, I had a problem with that. Um, but I also understood the power of visibility, which is why the data visualization is really important. And it was important for us to put these women's faces into the data visualization and not just like their names, but right. so that as it circulated across the internet, we saw that these black women across the spectrum um, looked like us in our community and that we knew their name in perpetuity around right. the companies that they, that they sold. And so for me, I thought that was significant because, again, I think we have podcasts where we listen to entrepreneurs who have built these massive entities and essentially almost they control almost our, 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 our total like way of doing things. Right. Um, and I think about how little in the mainstream, I, I suppose, we ask the same kinds of questions to entrepreneurs that are coming from our communities that have been wildly successful. Right. I want to say maybe the news attention started to dig a bit deeper in terms of its sources. And we have so many, we have so many um, reporters now that follow our work um, who are, who are at major publications um, who are now like, Oh, we want to start, you know, interviewing more diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And but you never have to worry about it because it's never going to be their focus. It's always it's, it's because it's popular to them right now because on, it's part of the climate. Exactly. And it's hard. It's grappling it's the, with it's it. the flavor. It's a flavor of the week. That's yeah. And, and I, I just for them, for not for us, but for them. Right. We go, go through these cycles. And so I, I think when I decided to take the plug into the direction of let's get some strong original reporting, let's build out a subscription based information-based products that has an emphasis on data to set ourselves apart from anything that Black tech media was doing, that traditional tech media was doing. My, my goal here, and um, today I was listening to this podcast with Seth Godin, he said, you know, you're not for everyone, you're, from, you're for someone. Yeah. And I knew that for me, it wasn't about, let me, you know, let's, let me build a site that gets millions of views and clicks and more so how do I build a community, an intimate community where we can have deep discussion right. and conversation? And the variation of that saying you said is if you, mar if you market to everyone, you market to no one anyway. You, absolutely. You, yeah, if you're trying to make your goal to reach everybody in the world, you probably end up reaching no one anyway. So that's how I feel anyway, but go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it, it troubled me for a while because it's like, oh man, like, am I, am I missing the boat here? And the reality is that being consistent, I've, I've built up a really strong audience of people and, and folks who are, you know, executives and leaders right. and decision makers and part of governments who are making big choices around business and 
where they're making investments to yeah. support stronger and more diverse ecosystems. And so I think that, you know, daily I'm just challenged with how do I provide value to these people who will go into their offices virtually or physically who are going to be at these conferences and they are going to be making choices or helping to persuade the choices of people who are going to say, yes, we will set up a fund in this city specifically for black and brown founders. Right. And here's the data and information we've been following over the last year that informs us that this is going to be a great bet. Or what I, I'm curious. Uh, I want you to finish that. But I want to ask you a question that that relates to consistency. It's um, easier to feel that way right now because you've had some success recently. But I'm sure there was a time when it felt like, is this ever going to work? Is it, it does it? How, how will we or maybe not? You might have had it all together at the beginning. Uh, you know, how will we make sure that, you know, we this turns into a, a model where I can not only eat, but scale. Talk about a moment when it just felt maybe it was a low moment. Maybe it was a huge setback. Can you think about that moment and how that is has informed you to where you're at now to really help you grow? If it was a huge setback, it was something that didn't go as you uh, had planned. Because we know every entrepreneur, particularly every black entrepreneur is having, not every, but most are having some type of struggle in that in some ways. And they can probably learn from your uh, challenging moments and how you were able to pivot from it. That's such a great question because, and I'm sure as you know, in entrepreneurship, like we get a lot of low moments. That's a lot of them. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, (laughs) daily, weekly, monthly, annual. I mean, you know, I I was working. I started working on the plug while I was working full time. So I'm waking up at six, seven in the morning, pulling it together before work, and you're thinking like, is anybody reading this? Does this matter? Why am I even committing myself to this? But for me, it was just like be consistent you know, give of yourself. And if something comes from it, great. I think in in deciding to make it a business, I mean, it's hard when you're like, okay, if I put this out here in the world, are people going to resonate? Even from when I dropped the membership and it was just like, okay, I got my first hundred folks in the first week, you know, who are like, I'm willing to pay for um, an executive level membership. And you know, I think entrepreneurship is part vision and part straight delusion. And you just have to every day. Some people call it faith, but I guess it's delusion too. <laughs> it's, also, it's delusion. It's like, why would anyone decide to do this? Like there are so many easier ways to make a living and to show up in the world. And I think that for the low points, I, I, I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily specifically tied to the business. I think sometimes it is, it is the environment. It's sure. the way in which you're treated or spoken to or not considered or looked over. And sometimes like you just, and that's what builds up your grit and your resilience. And, and it's okay to say like, today is a really terrible day. I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to come back swinging tomorrow. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I have, and the great thing is that, you know, you start to have this community of other entrepreneurs and you lean on supports, you know, every time you don't get into the accelerator or you don't get the funding and investor says no, or a grant says no. You know, I think now I've gotten so many rejections, you know, it's like every, like we, you know, I announced the wins, right? So you see all the good right, wins. Right, yes. And I think at some point you get to this place where you're just like, what is for me is for me and it won't pass me by. Yep. And who I am, and this is what we were talking earlier, just about, I fundamentally have had to change as a leader, as an entrepreneur, um, as a journalist, like I fundamentally have had to change because you start to respond and adapt to your environment. And the reality yeah. is that I show up with kindness, compassion, integrity, character. I show up with a, a true mission 
for the success of my business. And I'm, I'm working every day to bring it to not just a good situation that people mm. admire, but something that's going to be excellent and useful at the end of the day, that this will help to change the way people work, think what happened, whatever the outcome is, the impact is, is key and important, you know, that I have done my job and yeah. everything else is feedback. It helps mm-hmm. me to refine my thinking. It helps me to refine my work. It helps me to refine, especially if I get a rejection and, and, and there's feedback attached to it, then that helps me to see here's where my blind spot is, you know, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a solo entrepreneur and I work with a lot of contractors. I'm making my yeah, first hire. I, I, do, I do as well. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes you don't, you don't get the, the benefit sometimes of having constant feedback and other people chiming in. You're having to make the best choice that you have with the knowledge that you have, um, you know, right then and there. And so I'm hiring my first employee this year and Congratulations. thank you. Thank you. And no small you know, feat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, exactly. As, as you know, I mean, you know, you're responsible for someone else's livelihood, and you're responsible for creating a company culture that they can thrive in and do their best work. Um, and you have to continue to step up as a leader. But yeah, I don't know if there's one specific moment, I will say, you know, I will say that and if you don't have a moment, I have another follow up question that might help with this. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year's definitely been tough. Just mentioning, you know, we chatted earlier, a lot of us have lost loved ones, yeah. you know, and I both and, did. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, and well, it's, how have it's, you responded? Like this, this is a good anchor. Cause I had some questions yeah. for about dealing with this moment of you've obviously had some great highs, but lots of people are going through myself included anxiety in this moment. I'm an extrovert. Normally, I think you might be a slash of extrovert and introvert just knowing you a little bit. If I could, if I could live in a library, and talk to nobody, yeah, okay. I'd but be I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I can be, I like being to myself sometimes, but I also get energy. Like you're a writer. I'm a speaker. Like I, I'm usually, I've been in front of many crowds. That's who I am. And so not having done this is also just not being able to travel normally and freely. And these are, I guess, 1% problems also lost somebody too, but it's, but they, but they still get to you after a while. Like just, so how do you cope with going through when you go through a rut when you go through some anxiety or some depression which all of us if we're honest probably are going through somewhat in this moment how do you deal with that and keep a way to move forward and keeping yourself anchored at, at, especially at a time like this when there's a lot of pressure it's um a great question i don't know that i have a perfect answer i think the things i try to do is commit to myself and showing up for myself yeah. um sometimes i will cancel meetings that aren't important and try to push them to the next week so I can give myself some breathing room. I stay committed to therapy. I started with betterhelp.com back in March at the height of the pandemic. And I talk to a therapist every week. And that is something that I am bullish about. It is, you know, affordable therapy. I, mean, I, I wish I, I need to more like that's something that I, I, and I think black yeah. people in particular need to embrace counseling. There is yeah. nothing taboo about it. Uh, in fact, it's, it, it's, it's healthy. It's, you got to keep, you got to keep yourself tuned. Yeah. You don't. It's just, it's, it's a maintenance thing. You brush your teeth exactly. every day so that you don't get cavities and gingivitis. And so for me, it is, it is that moment for myself where, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're always giving, you're always giving to everybody. So this is the moment that I get, that someone gets to give to me. Right. And so that is my weekly commitment to myself. And some people do bi-weekly. I have friends who um, once a month just do check-ins. It just depends on who you are and what you need. Yeah. You know, I, I've committed to moving my body every day. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of Peloton right now. And just yeah, Beyonce, just the, it's going to get bigger now for black. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah I, have, I have several like friends who are like, yeah, we're all doing, um, I have a friend come over today. We're going to do the Beyonce yoga tonight. I'm really excited. <laughs> but, but knowing that when I work out, it helps to take out some of that stress and anxiety. Sure. Um, and so that, you I, know, I can't stress that enough. Just this point, like I, I, I religiously work out and it's not for pure vanity reasons. It's because it actually anchors me and I tell it is it is more important in this environment where you're where you're home more to do it because it, it anchors me and I'm able to focus the rest of the day. And when if, if if for by some chance I don't work out, my whole mind and routine is messed up. Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. Those things are important. You know, a lot of people are into meditation. I, I am sometimes, but you know, I journal, I read, I love to read the work of other people. Um because they what's talk your, what's a lot your favorite, what's your favorite, what you got a favorite top favorite book or two that you that, that all time? Um not necessarily favorite books because I or let's I, say books you recommend to people just come at the top of your head. Like yeah, there's um right now I'm in the middle of reading Mindful Millionaire. Um okay. it's just really a resetting of values around around how you approach money and, and management. Um I'm reading uh, Proving Ground about the story of uh of David Tarver, who was a pretty successful entrepreneur who sold his company years ago, um, Black Guy Out of Flint. Um, what else? What else? You know, a lot of business books like Traction, Leapfrog, yep. um, some other things in, in that manner um, are, are right now um, on the list. And so, you know, some I, books I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know some of these books. These are good recommendations and good recommendations for the listeners. You know, just iron sharpens iron. It's always important to know some, uh, you know, what, what people are learning and, uh, and gaining knowledge from in this environment too. talking about anchoring Sherelle, um, this has been, uh, I think a unique environment in terms of the amount of at least talk and attention to social equity, particularly around black lives and black equity. And, uh, I know I, I read growing, I read growing up that you, that there was a lot of uh, impact in your life when it, when it came to social impact activities from your family. I'm curious about what you think in this moment. Um, you know, we, we obviously just had an election. Uh, thankfully, uh, Trump lost. But the so that's the optimistic part. The challenging part is that 70 million people in the United States of America voted for an overt, incompetent racist, but and said that was cool. So I'm I'm curious to see what you think the challenges are ahead with your work in media, particularly fighting for black equity in the tech space, how this moment informs you and what 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 you think we need to do to position ourselves for the long fight? Because I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts. That's such a great question because it's something that I'm constantly thinking about and chatting with friends. I think right now, like in Georgia, where I'm based, we have to really prepare for- I'm thinking about moving down to Georgia to help y'all work because I'm not yeah. serious. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, like, quite frankly, Quite frankly, we need these wins in the Senate, um, and I think oh, the absolutely. two contenders running right now are, are pretty pretty phenomenal. Um, I, I think that we have to definitely keep our eye on the prize from a policy perspective. I think, especially in the social media world, and even I, I think this is true even for the VC and entrepreneurship world, we're all kind of focused on on this future projecting and like let's let's tackle racial wealth inequality through apps and games and 
you know, VC dollars. And the reality is policy and government actions have the greatest spread of change. Preach, 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 just a preach. Go ahead. And there's not enough venture capital money in the world that can solve for some of the ills that have generationally disenfranchised folks. I'm talking just clean water, not having lead in your home and low income housing. Like there's so many, there's so many factors here. And so I think that we have to get as engaged as possible, truly backing candidates that um, have progressive policies and we know that are going to take Congress to task. Um, I think that we also, I think we also have to be very vigilant um, within our families about what is our family and community strategy? How do we see ourselves showing up? Um, does this mean that we get together and ensure that we are um, funding and supporting efforts that are helping our, our community, our, like our kids right now, right? Our kids right now, a lot of them are not logging into school because they don't have a home environment where they yeah. can actually get access to um, a safe place to do schoolwork. So or, they don't, or they don't literally have access to enough broadband or internet power to do it anyway. That's also an issue. Absolutely. So what are the organizations that we are going to support, you know, collectively as groups or as families? Like I think about, you know, I'm not doing Christmas gifts this year. I'm not traveling for Christmas this year. I usually go home to Seattle, but, you know, instead of traveling, like I'm going to ask my family, can we, can we, you know, make a family size donation to the, to the human utility project, which is paying the water bills for folks whose water is getting turned. What's that project called? I haven't heard. It's it's human utility run by Tiffany Ashley Bell. She's a software engineer. I got to have her on. I haven't heard of her. I love to have her information. That sounds like great work. Absolutely incredible. I mean, it's literally like, you know, stopping um, water bills from being cut off from elderly and single mothers. Um, But like things like that, like what are these impact oriented, community center oriented initiatives that we can be throwing our money and our support behind? Yeah. You know, when we, I look at the efforts of a Stacey Abrams and a lot of the grassroots efforts and how powerful that campaign has been. It's just the diligent, constant, consistent support of these things that are going to be extremely helpful for our neighbors. And knowing that if my neighbor does well and my neighbor's children does, does well, my community does well and I do well. Absolutely. And so I think that I think that there just has to be a, a hyper focus on those areas that are some of the most troubling. From education yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I think even from a food access standpoint, I mean, like the reality is lots of folks have has lost has lost their jobs. You know, we, we still have a challenge because we don't have stimulus checks that have come out to help further support people. Right. Evictions have risen. So in what ways can we be, again, like being catalysts in our own communities on a local level, even if it's making donations to the food bank or volunteering right now to help with like logistics and driving, you know, folks like they're like, you know, when people were driving people to the polls, like yeah. how do we do that on a consistent basis where we are ensuring that folks are getting meals? You know, whatever it is, I think that we can really make an effort. And I say this to say, like, I'm telling myself that as well, because I've been so bogged down in building my company that I also have to take a break and listen and think about what is my civic duty and what are my civic actions that are going to make me a better citizen and resident in my community. Yeah, so many great points I want to get to. And uh, after this interview, I want to talk to you offline because I, I agree with what you're saying. And I do think actually an app I'm, I'm building right now is it will help do that. Uh, a lot of things you're talking about, but w- I, w- I would, if you don't know my earlier career, I, I, I was in all public service and I, I ran for statewide office in Ohio. So very familiar with everything you're saying. And I know there's an underappreciation for 
uh, the amount of effort and organization we need to have to make successful, sustainable impact. Uh, a lot of our focus is often reactive, which is understandable. Uh, it's protests, which is um, which we need. But I tell people protest is one level. Then you got to get to policy because protest without policy is is nothing happens. Like, you know, it's not it's not changing anything. It's hot air. It's hot air. Right. So it's just that. Sometimes protests can spark the policy, but only if we vote. And then to make it sustainable, we need we need the third component. We need power <laughs> and we have to do all these things consistently. And that requires organization. You know, one of my favorite favorite uh, lines is from a Philip Randolph. He talks about organizing. He was he was spoke, he was speaking of it, uh, Sherelle, in the context of labor and organizing your power there. But the but it still remains the same. He said, look, in, in, in the banquet of life, there, there are no reserved seats. You only get what you can. You only get what you can take, and you take, and you you only keep what you can hold. You can't keep or take anything unless you're organized. So I think it comes to us now as a black community, understanding that we have to organize politically and economically, and the two are not separate tracks. They are very much related, and every and every community besides for us understands that. And I know from my own personal experience running that uh, we have some ways to go to understand what we have to do collectively, because you know. Uh, when I talked to a lot of my Jewish friends, they understood it. When I talked to my Muslim friends, they understood it. You know, I can say it was a little more challenge. I, I got folks there, but it was late with, with some black funders. But we have to understand how we invest in each other early, just like we have to invest in each other in tech. We have to also invest in each other in the political system to really have the systemic effect to change things. So I, I completely agree with you on that. And, and I'd say we got to be vigilant because the fact that a president could be overtly right. I mean, he wasn't he didn't even usually people would try to pull it back a little bit. But people said they were cool with this. All right. And they, and not only they were cool with this sobering fact, he got more votes than any other Republican president in history. So that tells me that they might try these strategies again. And, you know, we can't just be on the defense if we need to go on offense. So I completely agree. So yeah, I, I think it's an interesting time because there is power in unity and also realizing that there are people who are okay with the status quo and yeah. believe that by you having less that they can continue to have more. Correct. Even if it's a farce. And, and, um, and by the way, it's always a farce. I mean, the, we have, we have data, we have data on that, right? We have uh, one of my favorite, have you read why nations fail? You read that book? I have not yet. Good book for you. Uh, it, it, it just talks about nations and structures and you're a nerd like me. I say that as a compliment. <laughs> so, but it talks about the structure of nations and, and it, and it really debunks all these myths about, oh, it's because of our great culture. No, it's because of the systems and the incentives that are in place and they happen, not surprised because of history and how they happen. So there's a, and I'll, I'll just get to the really short part of it. It talks about South America and North America as one example, South America, the economics are very different that there's a reason for that because when you know Europeans came to South America, they just went there, extracted all the resources, and then put up this state that wasn't very stable. And then when they left, people just recreated that same thing, and the incentives were in place to have a, a, a not a very innovative culture, and it's very oppressive and repressive. In North America, even though we had slavery, it still it still had a lot more independent states, and people came here because they couldn't just make all the Indians, uh, not Indians, Native Americans do all the work. It was very different structure. They fought back, so they had to come here and do the work themselves, and then eventually we know they imported us as well. But it was a different structure, so they had more independence, and they set up a state that, that was more independent, and of course, they end up fighting back. There's a reason for that over time, and when, when that, all that got together, 
it, it made that's why we became we were economically stronger. But a, but a point here is, is very important. The South was always lagging behind the North because of how they treated black people and because of slavery. It actually brought down the economics of the whole area. The data proves that out. But but the stories people tell themselves that I am better, that I can feel better than you because society places uh, places me above you doesn't help them. It just helps them. It helps them feel better about themselves. But we have a lot of work to do in making sure we shape that narrative and that also we don't believe it because we know even though 80 percent of black men voted against Trump, more and more voted for Trump. And we need to make sure we're not adopting the narratives of the oppressor. I don't know what else, how else to say it, but. Yeah, I think I think in general, like breeding better candidates is is the big task for um, for for the Democratic as well as the Republican parties and any independent parties. I think at the end of the day, like we should definitely be free thinkers. But Agreed. you know, I mean, I I don't know which candidates in general have been the best for Black folks since Kennedy. To be honest, well, with I, but but I think it gets and I won't go too far down as we got a hold of the conversation. The problem is also the obsession with presidential politics, like. I ran for treasurer. Doesn't sound sexy, but I have the ability to lend billions and billions of dollars, determine where contracts go, make millions for people. But now everybody's like, well, it's treasurer. What do you do? You do a lot. You're the bank for the entire yeah. state. I mean, the right, same right. could be but, said for like the education, you know, board, board of education. I mean, these people make very scathing. I mean, I don't know any public school education board that isn't a very hostile environment in terms of determining the future of schools and systems um, in a city or a state. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think that the call for us today is to get much more engaged because we, exactly. cannot, we can't govern through an app. Like that's just not no, 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 no. change us because an, you know, an we, app is an experience. An app, it can only work if it's an extension of the real work. Right. The reason yeah. why it right. should be supplemental, but it should not be the primary source for us in which to engage in our political system or our civic duties. I think there's there should definitely be a level of complementary opportunities there, but there's also a roll up our sleeves and like, let's get to work. Yep. And so I think this is a really interesting time. I think that we're looking at leadership from folks like Stacey Abrams um, and all of the other folks, um, in indigenous folks and Latin, you know, and, and women and, and, and all of these other groups of individuals and organizers who've been on the ground, yep. you know, really, really catalyzing people towards um, you know, showing up, you know, at the polls. Yeah. And so, like I said, I, I feel like, you know, watching this moment in time and looking at where we've come from for the last four years, I have a greater sense of optimism, but I also feel a, a greater burden of responsibility to yeah. also ensure that I'm not just out here making conjecture and critiques, but that I am also engaged in some form or fashion on an individual level, as well as how I show up in my current city where I live, um, as well as how I'm, I'm sharing and informing my friends around the country who are also looking to get much more mobilized. Yes. I, I would say, no, I'll move on because I love this point so much. I would say I, I would say we can't solve the problem through the apps, particularly in app, the apps that are in their current form. But I will say there needs to be more technology that is geared towards solving our problems and social impact, which hasn't been like we we haven't really used data, for example, to go after fixing the criminal justice system. We haven't used apps to, in terms of really focusing on candidates the way you say that they are and highlighting the, the races that can have 
real impact and making people say, okay, can you give to this candidate, this candidate going on? Um, I mean, so I, I do think, I think it's a both and because we have, and we have to get on the ground, work with people, and then we have to make sure that we use technology to supplement that. But that hasn't been, that's not the focus of any app out there right now, or that the, the apps right now, their focus are, their media, their focus is to make money. And of course, people have to make money. You can make money a lot of ways, but their focus is just to make as much money as they can. And that focus has just been on how do we sell ads to people, not how do we actually connect people to have impact. This is not their model. That's not the, that's not Facebook's model. Uh, I mean, Twitter, as progressive as they are, that's not their model. Uh, their model wasn't that. So we also can't expect a model that was never created for us to do that to actually work. So, I mean, that's my only real point to there. Um, I have one origin story that I want to talk about the the origin question again, that I want to talk about the podcast and then end with a few rapid fire questions I like to ask. Um, you had a lot of experience here and getting to the, getting to the plug, getting it to be successful and lots of other journeys along the way, as we talked about. I'm curious to see what you would tell your younger self now, like what advice would you give your younger self one and what advice would you ignore? I would say keep doing the reading, just really, really immersing myself. I was, you know, like alluded to earlier, I was a nerd. I was going to all of these other colleges and, you know, getting like the free student pass to go to conferences and policy discussions. And so I, what I realized back then is that I wish that I would have, just continue to do much more exploration, even through coursework. Mm. Um, you know, you're kind of floating a bit when you're younger, trying to determine what your skills are and what your interest is. is. Um, I think secondarily, I really wish that I would have had more guidance around strategically planning a financial future. Mm. So really understanding how my goals, my dreams, desires, and my environment in terms of cities that I decided to live in. How does this fit into the larger narrative of me creating opportunity for myself and for my family um, right. so that I can fully function and build out all things I want to build out and also be a catalyst to investment in, in terms of like. It's so hard for a dreamer though. Like I, I go through this tension too. Like it's figuring it out. Like where do you just obsess about making the numbers versus Building the vision and and it it to me it's it is tricky. Like, how do you balance that? I I'm working on this thing called giving myself grace. <laughs> <laughs> and just knowing How's that, that going? it's it's a hard thing, I think, because especially you feel like, God, why didn't I know that? Or why didn't I spend more time on this? And you're constantly reevaluating yourself. And you know, and it's part of that, like trying to get better, trying to challenge yourself. Sure. You start to surround yourself with people who are really excellent at what they do and you see like how far you have to go. Um, and so I, 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 when I give myself grace, it is I'm showing up every day. I'm consistent. I'm learning. I am prioritizing this, this and this as part of my day. I'm establishing and strengthening my values. I am ensuring that I am best representing my truest and my highest self, you know, and, and every day might look different. Right. right. <laughs> every day, every, might day every, every day will look different. <laughs> and it will. Absolutely. It never goes with the linear process we expect it to be like. I, absolutely. I had a very different I, I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I had a very different path that I thought still doing the same work, but it's it's, a, it's yeah. in a different function. And then just committing yourself to being a lifelong learner, to being OK with changing your mind, with having different assumptions, with, you know, even giving other people grace. I think that 
I can be highly, highly critical because I, I have this thing. I don't like when people play in my face. Like, that's why I'm always like, you don't like when people play in your face, you said? Yeah. I'm what do you mean by that? I mean, what, what do you mean by I that? Think, I think about, especially when it comes to this narrative of Black, like Black folks in, in, in funding and in VCs or what have you, I think that there can be, there can be a lot of showboating, a lot of, um, do you, do you mean from larger corporations and entities that pretend like they're doing something and just want to just say Black yeah. Lives Matter? And then entities, corporations, individuals, like I yes. am like, show me the checks and balances there. Uh, oh, yeah. You know what? A point you made. Sorry to interrupt you, but it, it, it sparked a, uh, another question I wanted to bring up is that and we and you and I are we are aligned on this in the universe completely about diversity and inclusion and what they're uh, I've said on the show. The, the revolution will not be brought to you by diversity and inclusion training. It's not happening, right? I mean, that's not the method to really create a sustainable difference, but that's been the checkbox approach to things without any real measurables or really any real outcomes. What do you see needs to happen in that industry to make it real? Like, how do you want to challenge that industry and disrupt it? I just think that there needs to be more accountability and transparency at the end of the day, I think that it's not enough to have great platitudes and to just kind of designate people, the king or queen or this like messianic figure of saving like flat capital. Yeah, I think we just have to have much more nuanced and honest conversations about, about the industry itself and its behavior. And at the end of the day, like, I don't, I don't care if you, I don't care if you think I'm the smartest person in the room, like, all of that stuff to me is distraction at the end of the day. Like I want people who want to just help build super dope businesses Yeah. at the end of the day, like all this other fodder and stuff. It's just like, let's skip that. Right. Let's get that. Let's just go build dope things and then keep moving on and doing in, in, in creating great things in the world. Um, so yeah, I people that I ran an organization when I get to whatever that is, when I, if I if, had, I won the treasurer's office, we weren't going to have a diversity and inclusion office. I didn't need it. <laughs> I was going to be the leader and just hold everybody accountable to make sure that they're doing it. Cause it's in the best interest of the state and it's the right, and it's the right thing to do. So, I mean, you're right. It should be part of your culture not, you know, often I've seen, there are some good, well-intentioned DNI directors, I'm sure, but often they don't have any power money and it's just the, uh, it's just platitudes, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Clark Street Project. Let, let, let's, let's get to that a little bit. Tell me about the Clark Street Project uh, and what you want, to, what that narrative is about and what looks like success in terms of the impact you want to have with the Clark Street Project podcast. So, yeah, so the Clark Street Project um, is really a exploration of early Black internet entrepreneurs, as well as Black journalism, what has that looked like throughout history? Um, Claude Barnett started the Associated Negro Press in 1912, and it truly was an interconnected network of Black-owned news publications, about 100 of them, 100 of them, 100 of them or more across the African diaspora. And the significance of that was super critical because when I learned about him, I, um, I was in J school. I didn't learn about it in class. I actually got a book from a professor and I had no idea that the Associated Negro Press existed. And the idea behind the project truly was about 
What has the evolution of Black journalism looked like? Why has that been significant to the way in which our businesses are covered? Um, and then also sort of what are the challenges or the opportunities that has, have existed when Black journalists have also been able to do work around covering Black folks and Black business um, within mainstream within mainstream spaces. Um, and so I just, I think that we sometimes lose the, we lose the, the, the opportunity to honor black journalists that have been on the line um, right. telling our stories and bringing visibility to our work as well as our genius. And so it was very experimental as an opportunity. We got a great grant from the News Integrity Initiative out of the, um, out of the City University of New York Journalism School, um, the Craig Newmark School of Journalism. And I worked with some dynamic producers and, um, and creatives to build this together. And, and so we had an opportunity to talk to Black researchers, um, you know, talking about the effect of Black tech Twitter um, you yeah. know, that being such a dynamic media platform for discovery and for learning, um, you know, talking to folks who built like AfroLink and AfroNet in the, the early days of AOL Black Voices. And, you know, we don't get to hear those origin stories because we're always focused on like the Googles, right? And yeah, the exactly. But like there is AfroLink, like we were out here, you know? Um, so I remember Black Planet. I don't know how old you are, but yeah, like, yeah Black, Planet. Black Planet. Okay, good. Yeah, you're, you're I was in my range. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was in high school on Black Planet. And the significance of these pre Facebook that was just for black people. Yep. Absolutely. And so there was, so we wanted to just really shape this as, as part of um, this dynamic history around entrepreneurship and journalism. And I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities for uh, the second season, but we have four very strong episodes. You do. I've checked them out. They are great. Yeah. I agree. Everybody go check it out. And where you listen <laughs> to podcasts. Parkstreetproject.com. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think the future? And then I got rapid fire questions. What do you think the future of black media is? I think we they've obviously had lots of challenges. I think there are, there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I hear some people blame Facebook and the social media uh, atmosphere now. I think it's I, I think it's also my perspective is also some failure to to pivot and innovate too. And I, I know this dealing with. I mean, I, I, I've I've been working to try to get black. I've tried to get black radio because uh, I had a radio show. It must have been seven years ago working with uh, Radio One. I said, here, I will start a podcast with you. Let's do it digitally. We can do it. I mean, now everybody does podcasts. I mean, I, but it's, uh, and so I, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. But I think, what do you think has been the reason for, I guess, the decline lately? And what do you think the future is in terms of maybe more opportunities and in, in the horizon there? Journalism is hard. Um, I think, yeah, the, the major platforms have sucked up most of the ad revenue that media was getting before. Of course, Black media getting a lot less in comparison to some of the larger publications. Yes. Um, a slowness in terms of innovation, I think, is definitely a challenge. It's a, such an old industry. Yeah. And so you do have more of an old guard for some of the legacy publications. And so I know there's that frustration of making that transition. I think lots of legacy news um, before they got the talent in to help lead in, into a new direction, just had a hard time with the pivots and really yeah. understanding how technology is affecting media. And so I don't want to say that it's just like a black media problem. I think it's, oh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a media problem. Definitely. Absolutely. And so in terms of future, I think, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have, you have a, you have these new entities that have popped up. You have like you, you're one of them. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yes. Myself, Tribe out of Chicago, you know, um, Blavity and that team and Morgan Devon. I mean, they built something super incredible a few years ago that continues to thrive today. And I think that there's always going to be a new world order. 
Um, and I think that, yeah, if some of the legacy publications aren't able to make that pivot. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tremendous challenge. Um, I think for like black newspapers, just um, your traditional newspapers, they're finding it in, in attempting to make these transitions into yeah. digital. And you have the Facebooks, like the Facebook journalism project who we've gotten a grant from, um, as well as Google News Initiative who are working and retraining newsrooms and teams. And so I am, I'm really hopeful about these social media platforms coming in to provide their expertise to help some of these newsrooms make transitions. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it's still necessary. There are a lot of folks, like I think about the New York Amsterdam News, and one of the oldest black you know, publications in New York City. And I mean, they cover Harlem, they cover Inwood Park. Like these are neighbors and stories that they're talking about in their local communities. And so it, it would, it would, I would hate for that to be lost. Yeah, I mean, local news is such a challenge right now too. You're so right. And it's, well, we can have a whole session on that and maybe we'll have another podcast on that. Let me get um, some rapid fire questions in here. If you had a committee living or dead, of three advisors to advise you on life, business, personal, whatever you, they can be living, they can be alive. Who would these three people be and why? That is a dynamic question. Um, Dorothy Dandridge. I've oh, always okay. loved me some Dorothy Dandridge. I feel like she was gone too soon. Um, Definitely. I just, I just think she had this powerful finesse as a performer, as an actress. Um, so definitely her. Um, who else? We definitely love to sit with Oprah. Um, oh yeah, Oprah's always good. Yeah, I just find her to be absolutely phenomenal on so many different levels, particularly in business. Um, who else? Gosh, you know, I would love to have a, a sit down with Seth Godin. Um, I think he has incredibly interesting things to say, and I think that the the simplicity in which he thinks about business and art is truly compelling and focused. And so it would be great to break bread with him. All right, uh, two more questions very quickly. You have an important, what's an important truth you have, a conviction you have that is controversial and very few people, very few people might agree with you on? Oh gosh, that's a great question. You don't wanna incriminate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say something that I think might be relatively controversial. I don't think we need to continue to have these like black people programs. I'm starting to feel like a lot of these, especially following the George Floyd murder, I feel like there's a lot of these like programs that are so geared toward let's set up this like temporary illusion of helping black people. And I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, it feels like these are just the equivalent of welfare programs instead of like saying, no, let's just, use our traditional fund or our traditional mechanism and ensure that we are funding more black folks. Yeah. Um, and I look at the people, like I think about impact America fund who's, who's stayed hyper-focused and has been led by one of the most incredible black women investors, Keisha Cash and Stephanie Thomas and, and the others on their team. And it's just like, they've just had a commitment to investing in diverse founders from the beginning. And so I just, I think about, I just think about these other like here today, gone tomorrow folks. And it's just yeah. like, why do we always need this kind of separate and unequal mechanism to right wrongs that it seems much more performative than anything else? Um, I agree. Because if it's, if these, if these programs are so great and the businesses you're funneling in are so great, why aren't your other investors who are investing in the big, big deals also, you know, tracking that. And I'm not saying that they're not routes for people and they're great opportunities for people. I don't want to, 
I don't want to like disrespect or throw shade on any of the folks that apply to and get into these programs because it is a stepping stone. I just question, I just question this ongoing need that like we always have to have this separate and unequal mechanism in order to get our foot in the door. It's the same thing with the DNI conversation we had earlier. I mean, it doesn't having a diversity inclusion person that's supposed to be overall our diversity inclusion and it never changes anything and they never really have any accountability responsibility. It's an easy check the box approach. To your point, if we're really trying to solve these systemic problems, it requires innovation. It doesn't require the same level of thinking that created the problem, as Einstein said. Uh, Final question. You have a billboard or Google ad that summarizes what you stand for in life, your principle. What would that say and why? Lifelong learning, um, transmuting constantly, and designing a life that is significant and well-lived. Okay, that's good. Sherelle Dorsey, uh, check out our new podcast, uh, The Clark Street Project. Also, of course, check her out on The Plug, sign up. I'm a member. Uh, I also subscribe to the podcast. Love to want to share the love. Uh, she's doing great things. She's going to continue to do great things. And we, we were honored to have her on the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it.